sequence start. Five, four, three, two, one, zero. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. 32 minutes past the hour. Liftoff on Apollo 11. This episode would be a perfect use of our fart sound, <laughs> but I don't have it yet. Hello, everyone. What a, what a warm, warm welcome to the Space But Messier podcast. My name is Tony. And this is Flo. And we are so excited to bring you sweet, sweet space... Farts. Spar- farts. <laughs> and goodness. First of all, we'd like to give a shout out to our new Patreon uh, subscribers. We have Kelsey DiBernardo, Claudia Pineda... Gianna Spangler, or G Spangit Swifty, my favorite, she is my favorite uh, username, and Marcus Ryle. Uh, thank you so much, all of you. You have decided to join us on our journey, contributing and um, supporting this podcast monetarily, making all of this possible. So thank you so much and welcome. You guys now have the ability to request topics and one of you got a t-shirt uh, on that t-shirt level and that was really, really cool. So thank you again. Thank you guys so much. All right, straight into the news. Because it's hilarious. (laughs) It's actually hilarious. Brace yourself. It's really funny. Apparently, (laughs) apparently, (laughs) Uranus Uranus, smells like farts. Uh, Not apparently, actually. It does. Uranus smells like farts. So a study published last Monday in Nature Astronomy outlines the findings of literally stinky gas in the clouds of Uranus. So how do we know this? Basically, certain elements give off certain wavelengths of light, and when we viewed Uranus, astronomers at the Gemini Observatory in Hawaii found hydrogen sulfide, which literally smells like farts. You may think this is a coincidence that I really don't want to say it on the podcast, but you guys all know the other pronunciation of this Mm -hmm. planet, that it actually smells like farts. It literally is a 100% coincidence. So just to get into it. How beautiful. Yes, it is. (laughs) So that the naming of Uranus has an entirely unrelated reason from it possibly smelling like flatulence. So initially, <laughs> William Herschel discovered this icy body and tried to name it after King George III in 1781. However, it was German astronomer Johann Ellert Bode who helped to actually classify it as a planet. So he named Uranus after the ancient Greek god of the sky. Now, I know we kind of went over this in the last episode about different namings and how all the planets are named after Roman gods, but Uranus is actually a little different. So Bode argued that as Saturn was the father of Jupiter in Roman mythology, or Kronos being the father of Zeus in Greek mythology, that the new planet should be named for the father of Saturn, making it the only planet to be named after a Greek god instead of a Roman god. Bode's colleague, Martin Klaproth, loved this name and named his newly discovered element Uranium. They're both unrelated, but that's a fun little story. Mm -hmm. So they named it not because of farts or anything like that. Fun fact of the day, whenever Flo and I are on the same team for an activity, we're team fart. Not because of this episode. And we always win. We got a bunch of high schoolers to just chant, fart, 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 fart. fart." (laughs) It's really a unifier, you know? So all this happened, and (laughs) then we found out that the planet had methane and hydrogen sulfide, just making things hilarious. I love when things work out like that. Oh, it's beautiful. It really is. Truly a gift. All right. Speaking of rocket launchers and incredible people, we have a Twitter shout out from at the Romeo Mike. He tweeted us, let's hear about binary stars, including Nemesis and the companion star theory. So thank you, Romeo Mike, for your question. Um, And he is an aspiring 
manga artist just trying to make it in this crazy world. He has an original webcomic at noworldfortomorrowcomic.tumblr.com, and there is a hyphen in between each word. So, at Rome, the Romeo Mike. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. But before we really get into it, just to, we're going to tease you a little bit. We're going to get into Nemesis later and the Companion Star Theory. Later, like in this episode. Later in this episode. But first, we're just going to break down binary stars. They're so cool. Okay, so I studied them. Well, Flo and I both studied them mm-hmm. in our ast- beginning astronomy classes years ago. And then I did some um, research on them recently. But diving into it again for this episode brought up so much more. These things are crazy. They really are. Um, so imagine living in a world with two suns. <gasps> Does Tatooine have two suns? I know some Star Wars planet. I'm sorry. I apologize for all the Star Wars fans out there that I'm butchering this. But imagine seeing two suns in your sky. Crazy. It'd be how hot. Would, how would you ever have nighttime? What if they were on alternating s- schedules? Yeah, I think it'd be like a random. Well, I guess. Okay, so here's basically how it would work. These suns are going to be at the center of the solar system or closest to the center of the solar system. So if, if it's like if our sun was replaced by two suns... Mm, wouldn't be that much of a difference. It wouldn't be big, yeah, because yeah. if we faced away from it, then we'd be good. But basically, here's how it works. Um, these two stars at the center, or three or four or whatever, um, you can have multiple stars, they don't orbit each other. In fact, they orbit a mutual center of gravity. And this is actually true for all solar systems. So um, when you look at our solar system, for instance, we actually don't orbit around our sun per se, or rather around our sun's center of gravity. We actually all orbit a common center of gravity that lies somewhere inside the sun, but it's not quite at its center because we all have gravity. So not only does the sun pull on the planets, but the planets still pull on the sun. And so there's some really cool graphics out there that that show this, but if you were to see like a bird's eye view, if you were locked in space time, and you look down, the sun would actually wobble just a little bit because it orbits on a shared center of gravity. So if you could imagine that, then imagine two suns orbiting one just center of gravity. This center um, has no color. It has no designation. It's simply at the center. And so they, it looks like they orbit each other. And so that's kind of how a binary star system would work. Yeah, and about 80% of the single points of light in space are not just one star, but potentially multiple. And out of this 80%, most of these multiple star systems are binary star systems or solar systems containing two suns or stars. Right. Um, But if you look at these, like, 80% of the stars, right, they look like single stars. But they're, they're technically two types of, we'll call them double stars. The first one you might get confused and see are called optical double stars. And these are stars that appear to be really, really close together. So if you go outside and you look up and you see two stars that are so close together they look like one, they may not actually be that close together, but they may appear that way. So for instance, one might be hundreds of light years closer than the other one, but to our point of view, they might appear that way. So those are called optical double stars. And then we have binary stars, which are actually orbiting each other. For instance, there's um, binary stars that make up the kink in the handle of the Big Dipper, and they're called Mizar and Alcor. And these actually were used for eyesight tests in ancient times. And we'll talk about more of these stars later. Yes, we will. There's actually really 
yeah, these quote unquote stars. Um, but let's dive in. So uh, binary stars come in a bunch of different types. Now we'll just cover four of them real quickly to give you a basis of understanding. So Flo, take it away. So there's visual binary stars, which can be seen as two separate stars if you just use a telescope. And these pairs are usually relatively close to us so that the individual stars can be pointed out. And an example of this is Alpha Centauri A and B. So after visual binary stars, the next one is my favorite. They're called spectroscopic binaries. And this basically means that they're so close together that you cannot see the separation with the human eye, but you can see them using a spectrometer. So basically what we do with a spectrometer is we view the wavelengths of light. We measure them as they come in from the star or the apparent binary star. And what happens is, is that when a star goes away from you or when a star is moving away from you, um, its light is shifted towards the red end of the spectrum. And when light is moving towards you, it's shifted towards the blue end of the spectrum. And I know this was a radical shift here, but I'll get back to it, I swear. It's kind of like when a fire truck is heading near you um, or a police car is, is kind of coming towards you on the other side of the street and you can hear this uh, siren super, super loud. And then as it passes you, it gets really dim really quickly. So it gets super, super loud in the beginning, and then you know how the tone kind of changes? Mm -hmm. The same thing happens with sound waves as it does light waves. But the thing is, when you look at a point of light that you suspect might be a binary star system, you'll notice that the wavelengths of light actually move from blue shifted to red shifted, back to blue shifted, and they'll actually move. You can see them. And so basically what that means is that little star or one of the stars there is moving toward us and then away from us, toward us and then away from us. And you can imagine then that if it's doing that wobble, it must be orbiting around a shared center of gravity. Thus, we can speculate that it is a binary star system. That one is so, so cool. So a good example of this one is Sirius, which is the brightest star in our sky. You can remember that easily by saying that it's seriously bright. It is not. Harry Potter's godfather, uh, but Sirius is still mentioned as the dog. That star is still mentioned as the dog, and its binary star that was discovered is categorized as the pup, or nicknamed as the pup, rather. Um, now, the next one is called eclipsing binary. So we've done visual binary, spectroscopic binary, and the third one's called eclipsing binary. And just like lunar eclipses and solar eclipses, this is when stars pass in front of each other. Now, when we collect the total light received from the star system, one sun would give us a constant line. But when the large star passes in front of the smaller star in orbit, the light we receive diminishes. And on the graph, it has a little dip in the amount of light received. So when we see that dip, we can actually infer that there are two stars there passing in front of each other. That means we're seeing this orbit as edge on. And from these graphs, we can tell how big the star is, how massive it is, how hot, and how far away. And then lastly, we have contact binaries, which are my personal favorite. So it's stars that are so close that they touch, they share an atmosphere, and they become linked. And then the smaller star can actually steal mass from the larger star. And when you look at it, it kind of takes this like peanut shape. And then the star that is smaller is able to steal power and energy from the bigger star. Power. Very nice. <laughs> yes, its powers will be stolen. <laughs> no, totally true. She's right. Yeah. And so it be begins to steal it. And then the one that was originally the smaller one becomes the bigger one. The bigger one becomes the smaller one because all of its power has been stolen. And But they don't become one. That's true. They're eclipsing so quickly, and they're still moving so quickly, and they're still so stable that they don't collide into one star, and they don't merge, but they remain very closely eclipsing and touching stars. Yeah, you'd think that 
because they're so massive that they would just collide with each other. But remember that when an object is in motion, it will stay in motion unless acted on by another force. And these two stars are being acted on by gravity. However, they're just reaching that perfect speed with in correlation with their mass to get into a perfect stable orbit in the first place. So that orbit's going to stay there unless somebody knocks them off course. But just like you were saying before, when it like sucks the power from it, if you have a white dwarf star and you have it, which its gravity is insane. If you have a white dwarf and it sucks in the hydrogen from the other star quick enough, its gravity can fuse that hydrogen into helium all at once and explode into a stellar nova. So basically, when a, a star is in its life, it's slowly converting hydrogen to helium in a process called nuclear fusion. However, if it steals all of this hydrogen quickly enough, it'll do it all at once, and it's called a stellar nova, these huge explosions. Which is ironic. It is, because it's the end of that star's life. But if Stella nova means new star, and it can't happen with new stars. That's true. Be an older star. So cool. So beautiful. But it'll be it'll be like a birthplace for new stars. Yeah. Dang. So that is binary stars and the different types that we have. So, Romeo, let's get into the juicy stuff. What is this nemesis? It's a conspiracy! <laughs> conspiracy, I tell you! <laughs> Jump in, Tony. It is a freaking conspiracy theory, which means that it has not been proven for or against, Mm -hmm. but let's dive into it. Our sun has a companion star named Nemesis. That means that our star is a binary star, allegedly. First, I want to say that some of the explanations of this theory are a bit ludicrous, and some of them are really quite researched. So just because there are tons of different views on this topic, it can still be true. For instance, we hear, um, again, this famous flat earth line, NASA is lying to us. They're lying. They're lying. They, we they're, never went to the moon. They fabricated all the images. Everything is fake. Everything is fake. <laughs> Life is crude. <laughs> so often in these reports, we hear this, and then we hear that thousands of people have claimed to have photos of two suns in the sky. But if you look it up, you'll find about as much information on this as you will the giant ice wall surrounding our dear flat earth. So, here's to you, Flat Earthers. Here's to you, Nemesis Star Theoriers. But let's dive into it to see how much ground this actually holds. Mm-hmm. So, it still holds a little bit as a theory. Why? Because mass extinctions. Mass extinctions. Mass extinctions. This is something we wanted to get into a couple episodes ago uh, when we mentioned the water bears, which are so cute, and we'll get into those later. But the mass extinctions are the reason why this was invented or this theory was put forth in the first place. Yeah. So they decided that as an explanation for these mass extinctions, they came up with Nemesis. So we're going to go over the five main ones of the Earth. However, there are a ton of other small ones, smaller ones, that are contributed for this one. So um, First, we have the Ordovician era which ended 444 million years ago. And it was this intense ice age. And they suspected that it wiped out 86% of the species on our planet, which was mostly sea dwellers because it was an ice age and it froze the oceans and they died. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, they did. It gets a lot worse. (laughs) Yeah, oh yeah. In the Devonian era, 375 million years ago, 75% of the species on Earth died, including the famous trilobite, which I'm pretty sure they named a Pokemon after. I forget. Anyway, they survived the first one, but not the second one. So their explanation of this is that possibly new plants emerged on Earth, allowing their deep roots to release nutrients into the ocean, 
and then these nutrients turned into oxygen-sucking blooms that eventually suffocated the trilobites underwater. Very sad again. The, yeah, this is the dark part. I'm just going to throw this in here. If you guys want uh, to see some cool visuals on this, watch the Cosmos series on Netflix, Cosmos, a space-time odyssey with Neil deGrasse Tyson. He goes over some of these. It's really dramatic, uh, but it's super good. Mm, check it out. So after that, we have the Permian era, which ended 251 million years ago. And it's also called the Great Dying because 96% of life ended on Earth. Why, though? Because a volcanic eruption near Siberia filled the atmosphere with carbon dioxide, and then it produced the greenhouse gas, methane. And the earth warmed up, and its oceans emitted poisonous hydrogen sulfide, which killed almost all of the coral reefs on Earth, which are called tabulate coral, and they don't exist anymore. I think I know why they died. Why? It's not because it was poisonous. It's because it was methane and hydrogen sulfide. It smelled too much like Straight up Uranus up in here. They literally (laughs) passed out because the fart was literally... Way too strong. Not silent, but very deadly. Super deadly. (laughs) (laughs) The next one is the Triassic period. It was at the end of the Triassic period about 200 million years ago. What do you think this one was? Just by the word Triassic. Three assics. (laughs) (laughs) Probably very close to all of our listeners' thoughts. (laughs) Normally associated with the dinosaurs, this has nothing to do with it. This one, they don't really know what caused it, but they know that 80% of all species on Earth died in this one. And finally... The Cretaceous. (laughs) That pause was so long, you probably thought something was wrong. The Cretaceous mass extinction happened 66 million years ago. Tony, please put in sad funeral music uh, underneath me talking right here. Um, Three, two, one. Thank you. The extinction at the end of the Cretaceous era, which we all know and all mourn to this day because 76% of life on Earth was wiped out and this was caused by the meteor that killed all of the dinosaurs. It's a conspiracy! <laughs> it's not. It's oh, real. This one is not a conspiracy. That one happened. It's really fun to yell that. If you're in your car, just do I'm that. I'm so sorry. Quick. Turn it down when he does that. <laughs> but there is victory in the dying. Is that something? But there's resurrection after the crucifixion. <laughs> Very good. There, truly there is. <laughs> Because the dinosaurs came back. (laughs) They did. (laughs) They got them all in a park. They called it Jurassic Park. And then they made movies out of them. And they're back. I mean, we still have chickens. Those are dinosaurs. (laughs) (laughs) They are. That's true. Brutal. We still have the basilisk in the Chamber of Secrets. We have a a lot more. So 76%, but but not 100. Not 100. Also, wait, one last thing. That was the only mass extinction that was caused by an outside source. Yeah, that's true. Because the meteor hit it. And I think that we might be the cause of the next one. Oh, absolutely. Definitely. But we probably won't be able to kill the tardigrades. These guys, I know I've mentioned them before. They're the cutest little things. Go online, Google it up, look up tardigrade or water bear, and there's these microscopic little bears. And I'm sorry, if you've listened to every episode, then this is not news to you. But they have lived through every single one of these mass extinctions. Every single one. And so NASA's, I think they're planning on sending whatever we send to Mars on the first shipment, they're going to include some tardigrades or something Ooh. like that. I got to They deserve that. to be sent. They really do. They deserve a vacation. Can you imagine they're like boarding the ship and they're like, finally, they recognize our use and are sending us to Mars. <laughs> we deserve it. In their own little water bear microscopic language. Beep, 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 beep. <laughs> <laughs> 
Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So these, along with smaller mass extinctions that have happened, seem to occur every 27 million years. So... In 1984, Richard Mueller put forth a theory that a small red dwarf about 1.5 light years away could be the reason for these extinctions. As you heard, we said, most of them, we don't know why it happened. There's no clear cause. So Richard said, okay, I think that there's a star in the outside of our solar system. And so then later speculations came out saying that it could be a brown or a white dwarf, which is comparable to the size of Jupiter, but very faint and really hard to see. So basically, this made-up star lives on the very outward edge of our solar system. On the very outer edge is what we call the Oort cloud. Now, the Oort cloud is a spherical shell of icy bodies in a slow orbit around the sun. So if you think, okay, so let's put ourselves at the center of the sun. Nice hot vacation real quick. (laughs) As we move out of the solar system and zoom out, we have Mercury, Venus, Earth, Mars. Then we have the asteroid belt, where the Tesla is with Starman. And then we keep coming out. We have Jupiter, Saturn, Neptune, Uranus, and the dwarf planet Pluto. And then Pluto is actually part of the Kuiper belt. So outside of the planets, we have what's called the Kuiper belt, which is a bunch of icy bodies out there. And then way beyond that is the Oort cloud. Now, if Nemesis, our so-called companion star, had an orbit of 27 million years, it could affect these bodies in the Oort cloud and send some hurtling our way, thus increasing the rate of impact as well as mass extinctions. But there's so much speculation, especially noticing that only one of these major mass extinctions actually included an impact. It's hard to believe. Going to be honest, Romeo Mike, it's hard. We're trying. It's hard. So to give you an idea of how reputable, aka not reputable, this theory is, um, here's a couple findings. The infrared astronomical satellite, also known as IRIS, couldn't find any evidence of Nemesis in the 1980s. Then in 1997 to 2001, uh, we do these things in surveys. So these often run for years at a time. The two-mass astronomical survey failed to detect it then as well. And then lastly, the Wide Field Infrared Survey Explorer, also known as the WISE survey. Which is still running. Yeah, which can spot brown dwarfs from 10 light years out, still has yet to find this sweet, sweet nemesis. So we'll keep it as a theory. That's perfectly fine. My guess, though, is that all this movement that needs accounting for is Planet Nine. Burp, burp. <laughs> <laughs> that may I'm be sorry, yeah, not the wrong as dramatic. Button. Yeah. <laughs> say it again. Say it again. Planet Nine. Bring, bring. <laughs> yeah. That's <laughs> like the Law and Order noise. That's what I was going don't, for. Don't. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Planet Nine, everyone. So two astronomers, Mike Brown and Constantine Batigan, are working to prove the existence of a ninth planet. No, it's not Pluto. In fact, Mike Brown is also known as Planet Hunter Pluto Killer. He's actually the man that declassified Pluto as a planet in the first place. And now he wants to uh, discover his own planet, which, to be honest, that's perfectly fine. But basically, there are a bunch of movements of objects in the Kuiper Belt that can't be explained. Literally, we have no idea why they're moving in the orbits they are. And they've found this theoretical, hypothetical planet that, if it were placed in a certain spot in the sky would help make sense of all of these movements. So there are a lot of astronomers around the world actually helping him and looking for it, and I think he's actually right. We'll see, but this one holds up for me. So at the Romeo Mike, I hope that this satisfied your curiosity for binary stars, nemesis, and the companion star theory in our personal and non-professional opinions. 
really don't think there is one, but it might be a planet. So we'll see. So eyes up at all times, sunglasses on, look for the second sun. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) That's our advice for the day. It is. And thank you everyone for listening once again. That was a really fun episode for us. I hope you enjoyed it as well. Uh, Don't forget, if you'd like to select the topics, go ahead and become a Patreon member. Support us on Patreon for as little as a dollar a month. We would love to have you join our cause. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, do what happened today and send us a message on Twitter or Instagram, either in the DMs or the comments, and we will get back to you as soon as we can. I've decided to start posting really embarrassing and hilarious things on Twitter, so you can be part of that. Oh, please join us. At Space But Messier. Lastly, everyone, thank you again, and we'd just like to wish you... No, I said that wrong. Dang it. We will not see you by this date, but may the 4th be with you. May the 4th be with you. Bye, guys. Have a good one. Oh, and thanks for joining us as we set sail to as many suns as we want. Thank you so much for not forgetting. (laughs) Tranquility Base here. The Eagle has landed. Roger, Tranquility, we copy you on the ground. You got a bunch of guys about to turn blue. We're breathing again. Thanks a lot. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. That was definitely an e-ticket.